0: The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com.
1: Folks Randy Alcorn in his excellent little book called The Treasure Principle, he he tells a story of visiting uh, Cairo, Egypt and how his missionary friends there took him down an alley, okay? to an out-of-the-way, overgrown-with-weeds graveyard. And and then they pointed out to him this this gravestone of a man named William Borden, who lived from 1887 to 1913. Here's what Alcorn says of of Borden. He says, Borden he was a, a Yale graduate and heir to great wealth, but he rejected a life of ease in order to bring the gospel to Muslims. Refusing even to buy himself a car, Borden gave away hundreds of thousands of dollars to missions. After only four months of zealous ministry in Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis and died at the early age of 25. And on this man's grave, on Borden's grave, Alcorn says, after dusting it all off, getting the weeds out of the way, and reading about his, his love, it, 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 inscribed on there is his love for, for God and his sacrifices for, for Muslims to know Jesus. At the very bottom of the stone were these words, Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Alcorn goes on then, he said, right after this, he says his missionary friends took him to the Egyptian museum where they saw the King Tut exhibit, all right? King Tut, if you know the story, he died at the age of 17. He was buried with gold chariots and thousands of, of golden artifacts. His gold coffin was found buried within gold tombs, inside of gold tombs, okay, um, see, the ancient Egyptians, while they believed in an afterlife, they believed that you can take earthly riches with you into that afterlife. Well, in 1922, Howard Carter discovered King Tut's burial chamber, and there it all still was, right? Can't take it with you, can you? Listen to how Alcorn summarizes these two stories that he encountered in a, in a single day. He says, I was struck by the contrast between these two graves. Borden's was obscure, dusty, hidden off a back street littered with garbage. Tut's tomb glittered with unimaginable wealth. Yet where are these two men now? One, who lived in opulence and called himself king, is in the misery of a Christless eternity. The other, who lived a modest life in service of the one true king, is enjoying everlasting reward in his Lord's presence. Tut's life was tragic because of an awful truth discovered too late. He couldn't take his treasures with him. William Borden's life was triumphant. Why? Because instead of leaving behind his treasures, he sent them on ahead. Now, I tell you that story from Alcorn's book this morning because it illustrates extremely well what Jesus teaches us in this passage In the passage that that Marty just read in Matthew 6, you you should turn there if you haven't already, Matthew chapter 6. Because in this passage, Jesus tells us something not to do, something to do, and he tells us why. Or, let me put it a little bit stronger since this is the word of God. (laughs) In this passage, Jesus gives us a negative command. Don't do this. Which means we're not free to do it or not do it. Um, It's a command from Jesus. If He's our Lord, we want to hear that. We want to obey, don't we? He then gives a positive command: Do this. Again, it's it's not a suggestion. (laughs) It's not a a wish. Jesus isn't like, man, I really hope that they'll do this. No, it's a command. It's a command. And he gives us the reason for these commands. So a negative command, a positive command, and then the reason for the commands. That's what we're going to see here this morning as we wrap up our series on stewardship. We're going to see what Jesus has to say (laughs) about your money and the kingdom. Look at Matthew 6, verse 19. Let's look at the, the negative command first. What's Jesus say? He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal don't do that jesus says (laughs) don't it's it's a command but this is exactly what king tut did wasn't it He, he stored up everything he had and he was buried with it he he thought he could take it with him in a way it all illustrates the passage that we looked at last week in in luke chapter 12 with the rich fool fool god said last week remember this Fool, your your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. It doesn't. Don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth. It's a command. And the rich fool in Luke 12, as well as King Tut from our story, they demonstrate the consequences of disobeying this command. A Christless eternity. This night your soul is required of you and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? Jesus asked in Luke 12 last week. The moths, that's whose. The rust. The thieves. This is why the writer of the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes pictures the the pursuit of a life based on wealth and finding joy in wealth. He, He pictures it as meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Vanity. It's a vapor. Naked, you came from your mother's womb. Naked, you will return, right? Now, what exactly does it mean to lay up treasures on earth? I mean, none of us are probably in danger, right? None of us are probably in danger of being buried in a golden tomb or a golden coffin inside of a golden tomb inside of another golden tomb. So what does it mean to us? Here's what it means. Storing up, for treasure, storing up treasures for yourself on earth It means amassing and holding on to money and possessions for yourself rather than generously sharing them with others. It's the materialism, the greed, the covetousness that we talked about last week. And you don't have to be a rich fool in the eyes of America to do it. Jesus is saying here again, commanding you here again, don't do it. Don't lay up treasures for yourself On earth, take care, remember, be on guard against all covetousness. Don't do it. Well, the very first, the very next verse here, then he gives us the equal but opposite alternative. Instead, he says, Do this. So don't do this, but do this, Jesus says, verse 20. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Because they can't. Look what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that the treasures that you lay up here on earth, they're not secure. Sooner or later, they get eaten up, they decay, they are destroyed or stolen. Not so, though, when you store up treasures in heaven. Those treasures... Are not susceptible are they the the moths can't eat them The, the rust cannot destroy them no thief can can steal them they're secure this is what William Borden understood and it's what led him to live a life that had no explanation apart from faith in Christ sacrificing so much eventually even his life right Giving hundreds of thousands of dollars of his wealth away in order to share and see spread the gospel of Jesus amongst Muslims in Egypt. <laughs> Jim Elliott, maybe some of you have read his, his wife's books, Elizabeth Elliott. Jim Elliott was her husband. He was the missionary that was martyred in his efforts to take the gospel to the Huriani people in Ecuador. He said it this way: he is no fool. Who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose? That's what Elliot said. That's what it means to lay up treasures in heaven. Borden got it, Elliot got it, and you can get it too. Laying up treasures in heaven means using all you have been entrusted with by God for the glory of God. That's what it means. Using your money, just to get really specific, right? And and divesting from what the world treasures and investing instead in what God treasures. His church. Those in need. And more at large causes of the gospel, the the advancement of the capital C church in his kingdom. Listen to me. The, the, The church is God's primary missionary strategy here on earth. It's primary. Through it, people get saved. We we make disciples. Um, Through it, people grow in their multifaceted relationship with Jesus. We mature disciples. And through it, people get sent. We, we, We unleash missionary disciples to live with gospel faithfulness, most of the time, in ordinary ways, in their ordinary lives. We unleash them, though, to, and send them to, to go and make more disciples who make more disciples who make more disciples, who plant churches, who plant more churches, who plant more churches, that make more disciples, that make more disciples, that make more disciples to the glory of God. This is God's primary missionary strategy, the church. And since its inception, listen, even given all of its warts, foibles, Horrible sins, missteps, misguidings, and all. Since its inception, through till when Christ returns, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. (laughs) Giving to the church and church planting and the causes of the gospel is laying up treasures in heaven because it's investing your money in the kingdom of God. when, When someone new comes to Christ, think about this. When someone new comes to Christ, true saving faith, nothing on this earth can destroy that. Nothing. That treasure is laid up in heaven. It's untouchable. It's no longer susceptible, is it? That treasure cannot be stolen. Jesus says so. John chapter 10, no one's going to snatch a sheep out of my hand, right? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, he says. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He's talking about here and now and on into eternity. (laughs) Don't lay up treasures here on earth. You can't take any of it with you. It'll all rot away. Do lay up treasures in heaven. Using everything entrusted to you by God for the glory of God. Listen, there's there's no better investment strategy than that. (laughs) These are the commands. Let's look at the reason that he gives. Verse 21, don't do this, Jesus commands. Do this instead, he commands, for, verse 21, or because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I've always found this fascinating because what I expect Jesus to say here is don't do this. Do this because your heart's really over here, right? And, and, and so your money ought to be over, over, over here. See, I expect Jesus to, to shame me into giving, to guilt trip me a little bit. You know, I, I kind of expect Jesus to say something like, if you really love me, hmm? You know, um, if if your heart was really in the right place, pocketbook would be over here too, right? That's what I expect Jesus to say. I expect Jesus to tell my money to catch up with my heart. That's not what he says, though, is it? He flips it on me. He flips it on us. He he, he says, do it with your money first, and your heart will catch up. There your heart will be also. See, Jesus... (laughs) He understands how the heart works, doesn't he? And that shouldn't really be a surprise to us. He created it after all. But he knows that that the heart, and we're not talking about the the organ, the heart. We're we're talking about the the center of who you are, the center of our motives, the center of our emotions and our will, all of it, the heart. Christian philosopher James K.A. Smith calls the heart the existential chamber of our love. He says that the heart is like a a multifunctional desire device that is one part engine and one part homing beacon, okay? You've heard the phrase, put your money where your mouth is, right? Well, Jesus says, put your money where you want your heart to be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. do it with your money first. Your heart will catch up. We know this intuitively, don't we? Where's your money at? You know, like, think about this. If, if, you, if, you, if you're storing up in, in their savings account, you know, so you can feel secure or something like that, your heart's there too, isn't it? Tied up in the security that you've earned for yourself here on earth. If you've if you pour your 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 life into the stock market and all your finances into the stock market, listen. Saving and investing are not bad things, but they can become bad things if we're using them as a means for our covetousness, right? Our security, our sense of approval, belonging, all that sort of stuff we talked about last week. And so, if your heart is over there, or if your money is over there, that's where your heart is too. Stock market dives. Where's your heart go? It takes a dive too. If If your money's in debt, isn't your heart there also? If your your, your money's in stuff, isn't that where your heart is too? Where's your treasure? Where's your heart? Listen, we've said it multiple times in the last two weeks, but God isn't first and foremost concerned with your money. Listen, He wants your heart. Invest in the kingdom, Jesus says, because he wants your heart to be there. He wants, he he longs for your heart to be where his heart is. He wants what matters supremely to him to matter supremely to you. What matters supremely to him? His glory. I mean, Friends, this is what the Bible is all about. His glory. This is what the life of Jesus was all about. His glory. This is what salvation is all about. This is what the church is to be all about. It is what your life as a Christian is to be all about. The glory of God. And as you give... To the church, to the needy, to the causes of the gospel in the kingdom. Your heart follows. That's how Jesus says it works. Now, as we wind down and, and wrap up this series, most of us at the end of the day, we have three practical questions, right? How much, how often, and how the heck. Right? That, those, are the, those are the practical questions that, that, we, that we're asking. And, and Listen, I've shot a, a little 11-minute video that I posted on Realm earlier this morning answering the first two. Okay, How much should you give to the local church? Are you required to give 10%? That's a question. The tithe, how does that work? How often should you give? How should you think about timing? Right? And, and lastly, in that video, I, I also talk about giving to organizations outside the local church missionaries, parachurch organizations, local nonprofits doing good tangible kingdom work, stuff like that. How how should we think about that with respect to giving, right? All that's in the video, okay? It's it's 11 minutes. It's already on Realm. You can pull it up and listen to it on the way home. And and listen, the reason that it's in a video is because I really wanted to have time for you to think about this third question. How the heck? How am I going to do this? How how am I going to start doing it? How am I going to keep doing it? What would it look like? And through multiple conversations with one of our members, David Frederick, um, who's gearing up to lead our Financial Peace University offering here June 6th, um, but through multiple conversations with David, it it became really clear that that God has done some great work in him in this area and that it would be really good for our body to hear David talk about that work. Not Listen, not as a challenge um, but as an encouragement N- not, not in a way that says hey, hey look at David look what David has done but, but as a way to say look what God has done through him look what God has done and so to give you an encouragement to give you a vision for what God can do and does do through ordinary people like us David once not you come on up and, and uh, give you a, a few minutes to, to share
0: hello hey I'm
1: actually going to sit down because I know you need a <laughs> yeah, little Yeah, it's going to
0: be a long one. Do you need to adjust that? Good morning. <laughs> as Todd said, I'm David Frederick, uh, along with my much younger wife, Sarah, and I. We have been members of uh, Two Pillars since the fall of 2012. Uh, and as Todd has mentioned, um, I will be leading the financial peace class uh, starting June 6th. Uh, but today I wanted to share with you a little bit of our story. Um, it'll span a number of years, hitting highlights or low lights, if you will, um, and focus on um, a lot of our bad decisions with money. Um, hopefully it's an encouragement. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, have you ever taken a spiritual gift assessment? I did this a number of years ago, and funny enough, my number one was Giving the first thing I thought was, how am I to give or be generous with no money or living paycheck to paycheck? Uh, Let me start at the beginning. Um, I grew up in a single income, lower middle class, blue collar family. Uh, My father seemed to have two jobs, um, never really making ends meet. Um, Sarah's family, same. She grew up in a blue collar family. Her father was a union electrician, uh, very frugal. Um, neither of our parents taught us about money. Uh, by looking at our peers, we, it, it became obvious that uh, uh, there was definitely a perception that, that we were lacking. Um, I lived next door to what some would call the Joneses. The dad worked with my father at McDonald's Douglas, um, both in the machine shop, uh, but they seemed to have it all. They, he had, uh, you know, they were the only family on the block with a pool. The kids had many dirt bikes. They always took summer vacation in their Winnebago. Um, so the, the glaring differences were obvious. Uh, later my parents divorced when I was 10. Uh, my mother, mother remarried about a year later. Um, The family dynamic was less than perfect, and I eventually left home just before I turned 17. No, I did not graduate, left school in the 10th grade. Um, Early on, it was tough going. I did a lot of couch surfing, lived in various hovels. Um, Throughout my 20s, like most, I spent everything I made. Um, Nothing was thought of the future saving Um, 50 seemed so far off and it's not (laughs) i started uh, the cycle of new car loans at 26 um you know thinking this was a way of life you always just always had a loan and though i accepted christ um early at a young age um he continued to pursue me and I spent a lot of time running from God, um, met Sarah later on and when her and I met she was a single mother of a two-year-old uh, at the time making $13 an hour and I was playing in club bands three or four nights a week um, and though Sarah had grown up in a large Catholic family um, she had not yet accepted Christ. Uh, soon after getting married uh, my parents were gracious enough to sell us their home for what they owed so they could move into a um, retirement community. And we promptly took that equity and did a rental project. Uh, it was during this time uh, that I started returning to the violin world. If some of you don't know, I'm I, a violin maker. Uh, it came and went through my life since I was 17, shortly thereafter. Um, one, one of the shops that I did some work for um, had invited me to come in for a trial. I went down to Georgia for a trial run for a week. Um, it was during this time, I think the day after I arrived, that uh, Sarah's job had been downsized, and she was let go. And it was uh, fortunate by the end of that week, um, I was offered a job that paid what we both made in St. Louis, so Georgia here we come. We had not yet realized that I, ideally you should make money on a home. It, uh, it cost us about $5,000 out of pocket to sell the house we had in St. Louis and that money we had to borrow from Sarah's dad. This was about 2007. Shortly thereafter, getting settled, Sarah got a job as an executive assistant. Um, we were making decent money, but that didn't protect us from stupidity. We, we, we were becoming the Joneses. By the end of 2007, which was a great year to buy a house, we bought a house. Um, no money down. They even paid the penalty for us to break our current lease um, and no closing costs. So nice guys, right? We were becoming the Joneses. New house, two new cars, two motorcycles. And if if you're asking, did Sarah ride a motorcycle? No, I had two motorcycles. I had a single seater for myself, and of course, I had to get a a double seat so Sarah could ride with me. Um, This was all on payments that we could afford. Yet we were still living paycheck to paycheck and had n- no real interest in saving. Um, there were times when we, mostly Sarah, felt like we should be doing things differently and maybe have something to show for what we brought in. or um, But I would reassure that it was okay. Um, shortly before moving, Sarah had accepted Christ. And when we moved to Georgia, we started attending a Calvary Chapel church and um, as she grew in faith she would start asking about tithing And, and I I would be like, There's no need to be too legalistic about it. We even had a near miss experience with Dave Ramsey. The church we were attending, Sarah had wanted to sign up, and of course I told her, Don't store up your treasures as if that meant money and not stuff, you know. In one of many God moments later on, um, we had the opportunity to move here to Lincoln three years later. Um, Now, I was never really attached to things. Um, I really enjoyed the motorcycles. Uh, But something urged me to sell them. At the time, Uh, I guess I thought, uh, when would I ever have time to ride in Nebraska? It's like winter all the time, right? (laughs) Unknown to us at that time, this began our journey to financial freedom. I had moved to Lincoln in April of 2010, and Sarah and Isabel um, were to follow me when the school year was over that July. Uh, it was at some point during that transition that I uh, actually came across an audio book of the Total Money Makeover, which is uh, one of Dave Ramsey's books that outlines the um, baby steps from Financial Peace University. When I had finished that, I had asked Sarah to, to have a listen to it, and afterwards, I think she said something like, so you'll listen to him. <laughs> but we were off. So we took FPU, started the debt snowball, had credit card debt, her student loans, paying off a car, and oh yeah, (laughs) making money on a house, um, strike two. We had to short sell the house we had in Georgia. We lost 61,000 courtesy of the 2008 uh, housing crisis. Now, Sarah will tell you, with me, it's either 0 or 110%. I don't have a middle ground. Dave Ramsey would say you would have to get gazelle and tents to get out of debt, sell everything that isn't nailed down, so much stuff that the kids and the pets think they're next. <laughs> when I initially started bu- budgeting, we, there were cuts that needed to be made, um, I'd mentioned something about the dogs, and Sarah said she'd rather give up the phones than the dogs. Um, And remember back to the Joneses, we had the latest iPhones at the time, Um, but that also amounted to about $200 a month in bills, so that helped a lot. Um, It took us about a year living off of my income and cutting expenses, uh, using Sarah's, um, what was then an entry-level income at Emeritus, uh, to pay off all of our debt, um, we didn't have cell phones for about three years. Back then, there was a thing called landlines. We we used those. We figured, live five minutes away from work, what emergency could happen then? Um, our first Christmas in Lincoln, we literally had a Charlie Brown tree. We were intense. Now, uh, up until this time, we had bouts of sporadic giving. Uh, at the time that we decided to get a hold of our finances, we decided to make giving a priority. Um, we've seen God, God's faithfulness many times in our lives, um, but during these first three years of our financial turnaround, uh, it brought a new level of peace. We were able to pay off our debts save up an emergency fund, fund our HSA for our high deductible health plan, and all this was just in time for cancer. In September of 2013, Sarah was diagnosed with breast cancer. She endured a double mastectomy, six months of chemotherapy, and a year of other treatments. What could have been a major financial disaster was merely a minor speed bump in the road of life. We met our $5,000 deductible three years in a row. And because God had prepared us, we were not burdened by the financial aspect, but we rested in God's peace and focused on Sarah's health. Through all of this, we maintained a standard of living well below our means. By God's grace, to the point of paying off the house we purchased in May of 2011 by the end of July of 2017. All this is to say, if we can do it, anyone can do it. No matter where you are, it all starts with the first step. Um, Financial peace teaches you how to tell your money where to go rather than wondering where it went. And even if you don't have debt but seem to be living paycheck to paycheck, um, FPU has many tools to help create a budget, work on saving for the future. Proverbs says a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children and learn about the legacy journey and what you need to retire. The keys to success are find your why. Whether you want to be a giver, but you feel like you're unable, you're worried about retiring with dignity and not having to rely on social insecurity, or just sick and tired of being sick and tired. FPU will provide you the tools to eliminate debt and win with money. if you're willing to live like no one else they say later you can live and give like no one else
1: so many things I love about David's story and him sharing about having the spiritual gift of giving and then just how God unfolded that for him what it would look like uh, for them It's, it's obvious that Listening to David's story, it's, it's obvious that apart from faith in Christ, there's, there's no way to explain that, right? I mean, apart from faith in Christ, we, we get back to square one and, and, and we get the house paid off or something like that. And then we live the way that we want. We eat, drink, and be merry, and we relax, right? That's what we do. And instead, um, God has continued to work through David to exercise that spiritual gift and being a blessing to others. Financial Peace University, I'll just put this thing up on the screen here for you. Um, that's the, the course that David was talking about. He leads it. And so just so you know, like the person who's leading it is someone who you just heard a story, what, he's, what, what that's looked like for them. And so you can sign up there, twopillarschurch.com slash FPU. We wanna encourage that um, no matter where you're at financially. And uh, and as I said last week, uh, when you register for that, there's a cost that's there. Two Pillars will reimburse you $50 upon the completion um, of that course just to encourage you in it. So just like, what a great testimony, you know? Uh, What a great testimony to what God has done uh, in and through uh, David and Sarah, how he works through us to accomplish his work for his glory in his kingdom, uh, as we flee from and stop, right? As we obey the command to not simply lay up treasures for ourselves here on earth, but rather to lay up treasures for ourselves in, in heaven. And we remember that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Uh, we pray for us and we'll slide into communion. Father, uh, yours is the power and the kingdom and and the glory forever and ever. We pray that you would make us, by your Holy Spirit, to, to treasure supremely that which you treasure supremely, your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name today. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.